1: And the best part about quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and talk TV.
2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It's the start of yet another week, ladies and gentlemen. We've got an awful lot to discuss, an awful lot of matters arising from the weekend. We're going to find out uh, all the latest that's happening around the world. Joe Biden has just pitched up, apparently, uh, in Kiev, uh, over in Ukraine. Keir was there just last week, and then uh, the week before that, uh, Zelensky was over here. So I don't know what's happening. We'll find out exactly why Biden has made an unexpected visit uh, to Ukraine, uh, presumably just to make some uh, photo opportunities available. Uh, to the good people of the United States of America. But if anything does happen, there will be obviously news that we will bring you right here uh, on the home of Common Sense. It is of course Talk TV. We'll also bring the latest uh, from Lancashire, uh, where the police are still uh, trying to identify the body that they retrieved from the river yesterday, the River Wire, uh, up there in Lancashire. Uh, They're going to try and see whether they can identify that body. And as soon as they do that, we will bring you the news of that as well. Obviously it's a terrible situation for the family. Terrible situation uh, all told and uh, the police haven't exactly covered themselves in glory. We'll talk about that of course as well. We'll talk about the censorship currently going on in the book business where Puffin have censored Roald Dahl um, apparently it's being called like mccarthyism by brian cox this morning and uh, it really is quite an extraordinary story we're getting stuck into that william clouston joins us first up he's the leader of the social democrat party he'll have plenty to say about what's been going on in northern ireland as well because of course uh, the northern ireland protocol uh, is being discussed joe biden his, himself will be uh, no doubt sniffing around the good friday agreement anniversary as it comes up because of course Uh, What we do know uh, is that whatever Rishi Sunak's deal is, it will not be something uh, that perhaps most Brexiteers would actually want. We'll find out what it is that he wants to do and exactly how much of the the sale uh, is going to be agreed by all parties. I don't think it actually is. Peter Hitchens is going to join us, of course, as well. He'll have plenty to say about what's going on uh, in Ukraine. He also wrote a fascinating column at the weekend about what we talked about last time he was here. Uh, But we'll also talk about Nicola Sturgeon with him because we haven't had his view on that uh, as well yet. 03444991000. Also, Prince Harry, what on earth is he doing? He's cost the taxpayer 300,000 quid because he's suing the Home Office for not giving him enough protection. Julie Hartley Brewer just said to me, I think he deserves to get protection while he's here. Well, he does get protection while he's here. But the point is, what is he doing rinsing the public purse of money that we can ill afford uh, in a legal case that he doesn't need to bring? Is there no end to his arrogance. 0344. Four nine We'll also be talking about the incredible increase in gun crime in this country, uh, where gun crime offences have gone up by a factor of 2,500% in a year. Unbelievable. 850 incidents in England and Wales. And so, uh, as we've often said, this particular country of ours is getting more and more dangerous by the week. Oh three four don't forget we want to hear from you of course as well because we need your voices to help us pass the message on to the powers that be that you're not happy and you want to see a change oh by the way uh, the ambulance people are on strike again and junior doctors is going to be out soon too we'll be talking uh, to some of them this morning 0344 499 1000 is the number this is the independent republican mike graham let's get it on And so it's a Monday morning. Uh, you may or may not be having a happy Monday morning thus far, but it's a bit grey out there, but it's not too horrible. Spring is almost in the air, uh, you'd have to say. Let's say a very good morning first up to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party. William, good to see you. How are you doing? Very well, thanks.
3: Next. Yeah, good, to be, good to be on.
2: Good to talk to you. Let's kick things off first of all with the, um, uh, the, the the Brexit situation in Northern Ireland because, of course, you know, as I was saying to Julia, the Sunday Times leader at the weekend sort of mm. said basically, well, this deal, whatever it is, is probably not going to please everybody. In fact, it may not please anybody, but it's probably the best we're going to get. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I think it was the whole situation from the start was very, very difficult. Um, people tended to want two things that were certainly in conflict and probably incompatible. Um, a lot of people in Northern Ireland wanted free trade uh, within the UK, which is entirely reasonable, it's a country, why wouldn't you? Uh, but they also wanted um, unencumbered access to the single market, and free trade with ERA and the rest of the EU. And obviously that was in conflict. And it was very interesting, Mike, um, Johnson's reaction to that uh, conflict was to uh, deny it. Hmm. Basically, right. he had an odd, he had a very odd um, trait, you know, which is flat denial. Let's just pretend it wasn't there. So he said things like, you know, there won't be a border in the Irish Sea. Well, actually, the the protocol effectively gives us one. Uh, but I'm optimistic. I think we can improve it, and I think with a with a bit of goodwill, um, green lanes, uh, red lanes, and uh, trusted trader schemes and things, you can get. Uh, some progress and I, I wish them well I hope they do make some progress
2: well I think the point is it does need to be sorted out doesn't it and whatever it takes mm. to sort it out it needs to be done and this is where perhaps you see the difference between Rishi Sunak and and, uh, and Boris Johnson Boris kind mm. of did the deal and said oh we'll figure that bit out later um Sunak's trying to kind of tidy it all up and, and put a bow on it and say, well there it is
3: Yeah, but I think that the the mood music has changed. I think, um, you know, Mike, we lived through it. There wasn't very much goodwill on the EU side um, post-2016 and during the negotiations. There really wasn't. Um, Graham Gudgeon, Professor Gudgeon from Cambridge University, did a paper on on how you could trade with trusted traders and and you could regulate your way into an entirely satisfactory situation. Uh, there was no need for any uh, hard border, uh, you know, between Northern Ireland and a, an, an era that w- just wasn't. Mm. And, um, you know, people people played it, I think, for political reasons. Yeah, but I think I'm, both I'm... sides,
2: I think all sides played it for political purposes, didn't they? I mean, the Irish Republic played it. Um, Sinn Féin played it. You know, talk of violence mm. and people being blown up was brought back. I mean, it was mm. quite shameful, actually.
3: It was it was it was it was regrettable and I think I'm hoping that we're beyond that now. And um I mean Gudgeon's point all along was that you could regulate it. I mean most of the big big business between uh, on both borders is basically done by very large companies. Mm. And if you're Marks and Spencer's and you're shifting product into your stores in Northern Ireland, you could be trusted, right, mm. Mike, to, to not ship those products into into the eu into the single market well, most of, yeah i mean because, most
2: of the trade and most of the goods that go into northern ireland go into northern ireland and stop in northern ireland they don't go anywhere else
3: yeah correct so i'm hoping i mean I'm, what i hope is that the mood music is different people are a little bit more positive uh, the the talks are less charged and and we can get some progress for everyone's sake you know for citizens in northern ireland And, you know, for the rest of the UK and the EU, I think I'm I'm reasonably optimistic and I'm crossing my fingers. Mm.
2: There's plenty to be not optimistic about. And without wishing to put a downer on your optimism, uh, Joe Biden just landed in Kiev to meet up with Vladimir Zelensky, which doesn't look as though um, uh, there's anything in that apart from America standing full square behind Ukraine and probably giving more money and maybe even more arms.
3: Well, yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, I think let's be realistic on Ukraine. Um, the main player is Biden. Uh, you know, I think Zelensky's in his hands, really. Um, I, I'm very concerned about it. I, I've, uh, as you know, I've been on uh, talk TV previously um, arguing against uh, things like no flight zones. And uh, some people in you know, some particularly some Tory MPs seem to be hell bent on uh, NATO um, increasing their actual military involvement in ukraine without, I think would be very foolish um, i I think although you know it's a bit like Peter Hitchens has made the point i think that you're you want the sides to uh, negotiate most most conflicts of this kind will end up in some sort of negotiation and um, you know I, I, i'm I, I hope we can we can um, get some sort of solution on this basis I I, I I don't know we'll have to wait and see what happens in the summer won't we we
2: will. But I mean, uh, there's quite a lot of blood to be shed, I think, between now uh, and then Peter Hitchens on later on today. We'll be talking about it, I'm sure. I mean, he's been saying mm-hmm. for a long time, as you say, mm-hmm. that uh, there should well be uh, some kind of uh, settlement negotiated. And anybody who doesn't want that is basically ratcheting up for a bigger war.
3: Well, they are. I mean, it was it's funny, actually. Lord Owen actually was interviewed on a, on a Times radio, I think, recently and made the point, which a lot of people don't seem to want to accept. Uh, but it's a real, a realistic point, which is that Russia is not going to be uh, defeated militarily entirely. I mean, it, I I just think, unfortunately, we have a lot of people who are unable to accept that. I mean, it, it, you know, it, they're, they're in they're in Crimea. They've been in Crimea since 2014, and I think it's highly unlikely that um, that Zelensky gets them out of every inch of that. And I think the, the other problem with the paradox of Western policy on Russia is that we're inclined not to listen to what Putin has said. You know, the in theory, in theory, if that did happen, you don't know what he would resort to. So I'm, I would just encourage the sides to, to try and, um, you know, talk at least to each other and uh, see what we can get out of that.
2: Yes, absolutely right. Let's talk about the firearms offences, because it was only last week that we had the knife (coughs) crime statistics coming out of the Home Office. There seems to be a rather strange anomaly in these, in that the Home Office say that they're Basically, firearms offences have risen by forty-nine percent in a year. In London alone, mm. uh, the number of cases has soared by two thousand five hundred percent. But the Metropolitan Police are saying, "Oh no, it's not as bad as that. Uh, it's only gone up fourteen percent." I mean, regardless of who's arguing about what's right and what's wrong, it's clearly a massive, mm. massive increase in the number of guns in the country.
3: It is. It's alarming. I mean, violent crime um, is is a is a major problem in all, our, in many of our major cities now. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I, th- I think the police have, have, have tried, but they're losing control of the streets effectively. And it's, it's alarming. Yeah. Um, you know, Mer- Merseyside has seen you had these you know, terrible cases over Christmas of the lady getting shot in the pub. Mm. And, you know, Manchester, again, has had, uh, you know, same firearms offences. London has regularly people get shot and uh, the, the authorities seem powerless to address it.
2: Yeah, they really do. And apparently it's a lot easier to get a gun now than it's ever been. Um, how are they getting here and why are they not being stopped at some point or other? Because they have to come. I mean, one of the things that was always said about Britain in terms of how more, much more difficult it was to get a gun is that you physically have to smuggle it, you know, over the, over the water rather than just drive it in a car, you know, from, uh, from one point to another in, in, the, in the European continent. But that seems to have changed now.
3: Well, certainly, I mean, in Europe, the guns are flooding into many countries completely uninhibited. And, you know, and I guess if you if you can get them there, you can get them here. That's the issue. I mean, Sweden has a particular problem with gun crime and grenade attacks and other things. And this just seems to be getting worse. Mm. Um, I, as I say, you know, we used to be, uh, you know, have some sort of common life beat uh, constables and relatively safe streets. It just doesn't it's not it's not there now.
2: Mm. Well, the world that we used to know, I suppose, William, has changed. I mean, just look at what's been going on um, up in Lancashire with the search for a Nicola Bully. I mean, I don't recognise an awful lot of what is going on there. I've never seen anything like it. You know, the idea that people are sort of clambering over walls to take pictures of, of crime scenes, the fact that people are digging up parts of wooded land to look for something that they think is there. I mean, it's a very odd phenomenon we're seeing here, isn't it?
3: yeah I think that's that's driven by social media and the idea that everyone could and can uh and should publish their own interpretation of things. I think a lot of people are just opportunists, and I think what they should do is back off and give a little respect to the family and let the police get on with their job i mean obviously, in this particular case, the police haven't covered themselves in glory in terms of what they've said I, I think they've made mistakes there, but you know they have they the, the, you know they have located a body and and you know the idea of the public uh you know voluntarily going along to the crime scene, taking photos. You see this a lot, actually, Mm. in crime scenes. Now, And occasionally, uh, you know, in an urban situation, that can be useful because you can gather evidence. But there's just a lot of, uh, you know, uh, rubbernecking and interference, and people should have a little bit more decency.
2: But that's the thing, you know, it's gone from what we used to see, and rubbernecking is a good word because that's how it all started. Mm. You know, if there was a a car Mm. crash, people would stop and kind of slow down and have a look. Now they're actively mm. travelling to the scene to be part mm. of it, you know, because they think mm. people, for some reason, now think that their opinion is more important than anybody else's and that their, you know, input is more important than anybody else's and they feel like they have a right to be part of it all. It's bad.
3: Well, they've no, they've no business in doing so, Mike. And, uh, you know, if we condemn it here, at least we can make the point. Back off.
2: Yeah, I think so. Stay with us, William. We're talking to William Cluston, leader of the Social Democratic Party. We've got to talk to him about the... Um, Paramedics strike today. There's about to be more strikes, of course, coming up over the course of this month. The striking workers are not going away. The government is not batting an eyelid. Nobody's getting paid the money. Where does it all end? 0344 499 1000. is the number. It's the Talk TV.
1: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: Interesting story in the Times this morning, um, William, about migrants, because obviously the story that doesn't go away. Um, over the weekend, we saw that uh, Serco are advertising in Stoke-on-Trent, amongst other places, for landlords to uh, supply houses and various dwellings for five-year periods uh, to house migrants. Obviously, the government tried to move them out of the hotels. We've seen more kind of unrest, shall we say, in different parts of the country where local communities are not happy about it. Um, there's now a suggestion that Robert Jenrick, the immigration minister, says they might want to put an annual cap on refugee numbers. Now, <clears throat> I presume that will mean refugees coming in all sorts of ways, not just on small boats across the Channel.
3: Yeah, I think I think it's, I mean, on the face of it, it's actually quite a sensible idea. You've got um, large numbers of Ukrainians, uh, a lot of people from Hong Kong, and you've still got the Afghan schemes going. And then you've got the uh, ridiculous situation in the Channel, which we don't control at all. Um, so what seems like a sensible policy of getting a cap um, can't possibly work. It's just another bit of well, a, Tory, a Tory minister saying, uh, saying something that, that work can't happen because um, you can't have a cap if you stay in the protocols. Uh, the protocols don't have a cap. I mean, th- this will be challenged in the courts immediately. Imagine, imagine Mike, you have a cap the government says it wants a cap of 20,000 or 40,000, whatever. And then the, 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 you know, the one person above that limit comes along. They'd be straight into the courts. You deny my rights and so on and so forth. And and, and where's the line
2: going to be drawn? You know, was it that was that the last man or woman in or was it the the one after that? Or, you know, was there somebody just in front of that? You know, it's mad, isn't it? But also, you you know, here we have a system which is being abused, which is being broken every single day, where laws are being broken, where, you know, rules are being bent and twisted and all the rest of it. Why would they bother obeying another rule uh, which they could just say, well, sorry, we don't agree?
3: They won't. I mean, this this system, this shambles that we have, will never be sorted until we change the incentives. And you can't do that unless you get out of the protocols. And we just to be honest about it. And I think every single politician talking about it needs to 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 be honest and be you know be frank with the public. And that's where we are. You will not have a sovereign border unless you get out of these protocols. Yeah. I've made the point before. The protocols in theory give. Probably a billion people the right to live here, and if the free market, which is the people smugglers, if they're clever enough to organise their safe routes here, they're in. And, and you know, Labour Party uh, and the Refugee Council are uh, their solution to these problems is to um, get rid of the backlog, basically by giving by granting everyone asylum, and that further increases the incentive for people to to arrive here. I mean, were these people born yesterday?
2: I know. It is as if they live in a completely parallel universe in which there is no such thing as reality. Just a bit of breaking news as we speak. It looks as though President Biden uh, is supposedly going to announce some new sanctions against Russia. not clear what those are going to be lately. Um, But what do you make of that news?
4: Well,
3: um, sanctions will be very interesting. I think we were the uh, only party uh, when the Russian invasion occurred uh, to, you know, I honestly think we're the only party in the country to flag up the prospect that there might be counter sanctions. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know the whole debate about this when when it started, I mean Russia's invasion of Ukraine is utterly reprehensible, and we want ukraine to 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 win but the, but no one can no one even debated the prospect that the counter sanctions would occur from what is a, a full spectrum commodity superpower. and if you quantify it might, the energy crisis and the knock-on cost to industry and uh, GDP and the rest of it, the the sanctions that Russia has put on uh, the rest of the world, or the EU particularly, and and Britain, have hurt us far more economically than our sanctions have hurt them. That's just a fact on the data. You just have to be able to count to see that. So um, the whole situation, I mean, Biden actually is sitting rather pretty, although I, I always think americans uh that go through you know use their public infrastructure in their major cities and you can see every winter you can see um pictures from the new york underground you know the metro Mm. uh people clambering through flooded uh uh stations and and yet he's committed you know uh, up to a hundred billion dollars to this and and when did the american public say well you sure that's wise Mm. i mean I, i i think you know as i've said before the only uh uh, solution is to is to talk. I don't. I don't honestly. I don't honestly believe that um, Ukraine will drive Russia out of every inch of Crimea. It's just not going to happen. Mm. Uh, the if they did get Russia out of uh, the Donbass in the east, then you'd be into. Uh, a war of separatism which you had before. So, we, you know, yeah. we, we need to... Oh, I get, don't think there's get, any
2: doubt that the, the American public, um, such as it is, doesn't have an appetite for any foreign wars anymore. You know, they've seen <laughs> what happened in Iraq, they saw what happened in Afghanistan. Uh, both situations ended up in a kind of disaster, and they really yeah. don't have the stomach for it. And la- last thing they want mm. to see uh, is any US involvement in any kind of war anywhere in the world, never mind uh, mm. on the far in, ends of sort of Eastern Europe. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the strikers um, today. Apparently, uh, we've got Paramedics out on strike today. A lot of people saying to me now, you know, the NHS is in such a bad way. You don't even notice when they go on strike.
3: Well, as I've said before, the the rash of strikes throughout all 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 of these sectors. There are you know so many people striking in so many areas. Uh, the the constant complaint that they have is that their their real wages are falling uh, in an inflationary situation and a situation where the household costs are going up. Obviously, people are going to take action against that. But I I always get back to the point, and I would wish that the British public would think about this a little bit more, which is that the ultimate cause of all this is that we are not and haven't been productive enough as a nation. Uh, we constantly, every single year, buy more than we've produced. We have a large trade deficit. And we shouldn't be surprised at all if the culmination of that is is a fall in real wages. That's that's the result of it. And until, uh, until you get a government that actually wises up to our, and addresses our trade problem uh, and our industrial problems, I'm afraid it'll just get worse. And I, I, I again, I don't see any sign of the people that, governing our, uh, that govern us of actually addressing this.
2: No, I don't think so. Um, it's difficult to know where they go now, though, isn't it? Because they've reached a point sort of no return on both sides, it seems to me. You know, the NHS mm. um, is now broken without any question whatsoever we've got the royal college of nursing boss saying that you know basically it didn't work when we managed to keep people in jobs that were important to save people's lives so we're going to take a different Mm -hmm. tactic now and we're going to pull Mm -hmm. everybody out which doesn't make them look particularly um compassionate and meanwhile and they say you know the government must uh, sit down and talk to us well you know that's a bit like sitting down and talking to somebody who's threatening to commit a crime unless you do something
3: yeah but I think the unions have to be realistic. I mean, you know the, the, the nursing union, uh, which, is, which hitherto has not been uh, t- not tended to take strike action, um, initially asked for over 20 percent, well, that's just not possible, as I mentioned before, um, if the trusts were to grant. Uh, a wage claim like that, mm. the very trust that the nurses worked for would be insolvent. Yes. I mean, that's just Well, I mean, I so spoke to
2: a teacher, a, a, a head teacher the other day, who t- it turns out after giving teachers a, a, a salary increase in October, is now having to sack mm. teachers because the school can't afford the money. Well, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it?
3: Well, basically, yes. I mean, the trust, on, on any, any trust, like any organisation, will have a budget for uh, transport, for energy, for accommodation, mm. for wages... And it just stands to reason if you're if the quantum for wages goes up, you can employ fewer people. I mean, that's that, that again is basics. I think what the government's hoping for is that the you get a period of disinflation. And there's some evidence that that's coming through. It's possible that you inflation goes down a little bit. But, you know, we've had we've had very high inflation for some time now. And the effects are there and the squeezes are on households. I'm afraid I can't see. I can't see any of this uh, de-escalating quickly, I'm afraid.
2: No, I can't either, because there doesn't seem to be any, uh, any appetite for it. Finally, just a quick uh, word from you on the Roald Dahl story, which has been cooked up over the weekend. We're going to be talking mm. to the writer from the Times uh, Literary Supplement who wrote about it. Um, it seems extraordinary that anybody publishing books who runs a publishing company would think it's a great idea to re-edit something on the grounds that it's uh, too upsetting for people.
3: Yeah, you've got Augustus Gloop who is no longer fat, and you've got uh, Mrs. Twist and no, no, no longer fearfully ugly and you've got the Oompa who are now <laughs> gender neutral. I think these people are unfit to curate uh, this literature. I think they, these people are basically barbarians and philistines. Yeah. And what they're doing, what this is, is, is cultural vandalism. There's mm. nothing short of that. I think it's an absolute disgrace to do this to Dahl's work and it's pathetic I mean, you know, you should be able to read it in all its glory. Yes, yeah. it's it's spiky, but you know, kids actually like this. One My kids love the old doll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so you're getting this all over the place. A lot of people have said, you know, um, is it gonna get worse? Well, you know, Fra- I think Frank Furady is actually right on this. You've got a new industry now, Mike, mm. of of these um what do they call sensitivity readers, yes. which is diversity appointments in all public authorities. And, you know, they keep on employing these people uh, to do this sort of work. And it it just will get worse. Mm. So I'm I'm afraid we just got to kick back on it. And I would say I would urge the public don't buy these books.
2: No, the original. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to find out when I speak to the the journalists from the Times. But I I hope they have a warning on the front of the book to say this book has been altered in order to uh, save your uh, sensitivities. Because if it doesn't, that seems to me to be even more egregious.
3: It's just a great, I mean, it's, the whole principle, Mike, is outrageous. This is, these are works of art, yeah. effectively. You just can't, it'd be like, you know, getting your paintbrush out and sort of brushing over a, Car- a Caravaggio. It's completely against the whole principle of freedom yeah. of speech and art. You just can't, and also it's based on a pretense, Mike. You can't undo the fact that he wrote the books as they are. I mean, it's like, trying to take statues down or denying... Also, it's his, you know,
2: hello, it's his book. It's not their book. You know, they're publishing his work. That's the point. But listen, we've got to run. William, good to talk to you as ever. William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party, talks an awful lot of sense. Of course, we'll be talking more about the Roald Dahl um, hideous editing that's been going on, because we do need to find out whether there's a warning put on the book that this book has been changed in order to protect you. Because after all, you're such a wilting flower, you can't possibly read a children's book that might have some nasty stuff in it. For heaven's sake. Coming up, uh, we're going to go up to Lancashire to talk to Nicola Adams. She's the editor of the Lancashire Post. We'll get the latest on the Nicola Bully case coming next on Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican. Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Much to discuss. Joe Biden is in Ukraine as we speak. He's meeting up with Volodymyr Zelensky uh, on a surprise visit uh, to Kiev. Uh, He's announcing new sanctions against Russia. We'll bring those to you uh, as soon as we know what they are. Uh, But he's also condemned, in his words, the barbaric invasion uh, of Ukraine by Russia. And of course, um, it's the first time he has visited as US president since the war began over a year ago. We'll be talking to Peter Hitchens more about that uh, when we come back after the news at 11 o'clock. Right now, though, uh, let's go uh, up to Lancashire and find out what's going on. Nicola Adam is the editor of the Lancashire Post. We spoke to her last week. Nicola, um, a very good morning to you. Morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, a sort of shocking revelation late yesterday afternoon when they found uh, the body sort of in the reeds of the river that they had been previously searching. Um, Tell us how that sort of unfolded, and, and and what people are saying.
4: Yeah, I mean it was a very sad day yesterday. Obviously, about lunchtime, two dog walkers um, walking along the river, kind of downriver of where uh, Nicola left her phone on the bench, and the area that's been focused on. It's about a mile away from there. Um, they spotted something in the water and obviously called the police. Um, and police were on the scene very quickly. And uh, have confirmed that there was indeed a body in the water. Obviously, the identity of that body has not been confirmed yet. But obviously, it's also within a mile of where the search was, mm. um, and, and it is an area I believe that was searched um, previously. But um, obviously, you know, in the interim period, the, the body has washed into that area. But it wasn't that it wasn't the area that was the main focus of the search, which was kind of upriver of the weir.
2: Yes. I mean, obviously, there's been so much speculation surrounding this story. The police have asked for people not to speculate. Part of the problem has been, though, that there hasn't been an awful lot of information, I suppose, coming from the police. Um, They're saying it will take them a while to identify the body, and that's understandable. But I think a lot of people will question how it's possible for something to be discovered in a part of the river that was previously searched. Because lots of people, including the, um, the, the independent search specialist, said, well, if it's in the river, we'll definitely find it.
4: Yeah, it's, it is hard to understand how that could have happened, and you know I can't really speculate onto the kind of no. the science
0: of how that. Well, none happened. of us can really, can we? That's no, the thing.
4: no. It's um, obviously they must have searched the area, and then after they finished searching, you know, at some point it was they've just they've just been searching in the wrong place at the wrong time by the look of it. Yeah um so yeah it's it's i don't know i don't know i guess we won't find out but it is it is a big river it's quite wide there's there's a lot of uh detritus in the river like uh, plants and you know um, etc yeah. and it's it's very you know it's deep in places very deep in places as well and obviously that's you know that's been missed in that search and they couldn't have divers in all the time in every section of the river no. But, yeah, it is quite surprisingly close to where they were looking, closer than maybe somebody would have anticipated. Yes,
2: within a mile is, is what we understand of, of, of where yes. she's thought to have gone missing as well, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was down there yesterday, and mm. it is around a mile I would estimate from. It's in a stretch of quite open countryside there. I believe that um, the body had washed down to almost to where you know close to to another road and mm. uh, down there, and, mm. and quite a few people do walk their dogs along that area. So they just have spotted it. Mm. But yeah, it's um, very. Very sad. And, you know, if it is Nicola, it brings three very kind of devastating weeks for St. Michael's to a close. And, you know, it doesn't even bear thinking about what her family are going through no. right now.
2: And, and they issued another statement saying just how, how awful uh, it all is and how dreadful it all is. Because yes. the, the police statement saying it obviously informed the family, but they can't tell them for sure um, one way or the other yeah. at, at this particular moment. But last week, towards the end of last week, there were questions being asked by not only the Home Secretary suela Bravman but also Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, about how the conduct of the police um, had been sort of arrived at, the, we then had the police themselves saying they were, they were referring themselves to the police watchdog. Um, have they come out with anything sort of really since the find? And are they are they planning any kind of press conferences today? Do you know?
4: I've not. I mean. You know, we're on standby for that, but so far, nothing. Um, We haven't had any more statements since yesterday uh, confirming they found a body, um, and we haven't had any uh, press conference notifications. So I'd be surprised if something didn't come out today. Mm. However, I think they're focusing on getting what's probably a post-mortem exam done and confirming the identity of the body before they move to that stage.
2: And and we heard this morning that that even as as recently as yesterday, while the body was, was sort of being... Um, transported if you like from the place where it was found that there were still people trying to take pictures there were still people sort of clambering over walls have they all gone now
4: um there, it was difficult to tell yesterday because there was an awful lot of media at mm. the scene and you can't necessarily tell who is press who is you know connected to the investigation who is is social media people it's it's quite hard to because it's, it's it's a rural countryside area They they had cordoned off about half a mile away from where the body was found, mm. it's a very open stretch. So all the photographers and uh, journalists were camped out, kind of in view of that area, but from a distance. Um, and certainly, when I was there, there were groups of people who were obviously not not standard press, mm. um, but it is a you know it was open. You know, there's nothing to stop anybody from from walking along that area. Um, it's a very cold, very grey day yesterday. Very windy, mm. um, but there was, you know, an awful lot of people around.
2: Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a waiting game for everybody now. But so, uh, Nicola, thank you very much indeed. Nicola Adam, uh, editor of the Lancashire Post, there with the latest from uh, the River Wire, where Lancashire Police yesterday did find a body, uh, which appears to have been sort of caught up in the reeds. It seems to have been closer to the surface of the water than it was uh, under the water. Uh, found by two dog walkers. Uh, We await confirmation. We await identification of the body, of course, as well, uh, because it's not clear yet whether it is Nicola Bully. But the police have informed Nicola Bully's family that they have found um, a body. Um, And we'll keep you updated, of course, as soon as there is any breaking news on that front. 0344. Four nine nine one thousand. Volodymyr Zelensky uh, is currently speaking in uh, Ukraine, saying that he's had some very fruitful negotiations with Joe Biden. The president of the United States made an um, unexpected uh, visit uh, to Kiev. um, And we can see the two um, presidents walking side by side up the steps. Uh, of I presume that is the um, uh, presidential palace uh, in Kiev in Ukraine. Uh, Joe Biden saying he's going to announce some new sanctions against Russia. We'll keep you updated on that front, of course, as well. We've also got Peter Hitchens. Coming uh, into the studio very shortly. He'll tell us what he makes of this latest um, surprise visit by Joe Biden. Never been to Ukraine since the war began. Uh, clearly, a very important step for the West support uh, of Ukraine in this particular war. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up, we'll take your calls and we'll tell you more of what's going on everywhere around the world. This is Talk TV.
1: On your mobile, on your wavelengths. Talk radio and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham and welcome to the start of yet another week uh, in what can only be described as the international, the dangerous world of journalism, of course. Uh, We're just watching Joe Biden over in Kiev. We made a surprise visit uh, to President Volodymyr Zelensky this morning. Uh, They're walking around in what looks like a very plush presidential palace. Um, It looks as though Biden says that there's going to be more sanctions announced against Russia. It also looks as though there's 500 million dollars in aid uh, militarily coming uh, to Ukraine, but obviously his appearance in Ukraine. Ukraine for the first time since the war started, uh, is sending a very, very strong signal as to what America plans to do. But will America, uh, as a country, actually want Joe Biden to be committing whatever it is he is committing to Ukraine? Peter Hitchens is here. A very timely visit from him because we'll get his view on what Joe Biden's doing there and what message he is attempting to send. Also, uh, if the last level of sanctions against Russia didn't really work in the way they were meant to, is there any point in putting any more on? We shall find out. We'll also talk, of course, about the rising toll of gunfire offences, uh, firearms offences, up 2,500 percent in London. Eight hundred and fifty incidents in England, uh, all told, and that's just in one year. So there's obviously a lot more guns around than there used to be. Uh, let's say a very good morning to Peter Hitchens. Very good, good morning. Place. Morning to you, Peter. Um, surprise visit by Joe Biden. I mean, it seems like everybody's going there at the moment. Keir Starmer was there just last week, yeah. I think. Um, what does it mean?
1: Well, I think it, 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 it simply means that he's, he's he's ramming home the fact that the United States is supporting Ukraine to whatever the end may be, and uh, this is this is American policy. I, I don't, uh, for obvious reasons, have a have an inside track on U.S. policy on Ukraine. Uh, it's, it's it's a. It seems to me that this is actually a war between the United States and Russia, which has been conducted.
2: And you've said that for many. And I
1: just think that it would not be it, would, it. It would be strange if if ultimately uh, Joe Biden didn't go there. I believe uh, I, I was reading this morning he was scheduled to go to Warsaw anyway. So mm. it, it did. when I saw that, I thought well wouldn't it be a surprise if he popped up in Kiev? So mm. here he is. I'm not sure, but you know the
2: American public reasonably well, as I do. I don't think it's going to play that well for the public, is it?
1: I think I, Joe Biden's doing surprisingly well as a, as a president. I think the, there's a growing feeling that he may, he, he may run for a second term. Uh, and I think that he's he, he's managed to carry this off so far. But there is, I think, a growing... I won't say discontent, but a a diminishing of enthusiasm for the Ukraine war among the American Mm. public. You see the enormous cost of it. And who also do wonder what it's for. Yeah. As very much a, a pro-American person who lived in the United States, likes Americans, likes America, I'm baffled as to what the United States thinks it's going to gain yeah. by pursuing this policy. I can't; It doesn't make sense well, to it me doesn't, as, doesn't. As, as an American policy. But it is obviously the policy of what you might call, the, what in fact President Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex, and they want it, and so presumably he does. But I think there is some discontent about it, and he possibly feels that if he goes to Kiev and, and meets... Vladimir Zelensky, who everybody likes Zelensky for goodness sake. He's, yeah. he's he's behaved extremely well. He's carried himself very well during this. Uh, his uh, his obvious, uh, courageous, and, and, and calm bearing rubs off on any politician who goes to see him. I don't blame Which I guess government. is why they all like I to should go think see so, him. yeah. Why wouldn't you go if you. I mean, Keir Starmer, could, who's currently engaged
2: in trying to convince us all that he could be Prime Minister keeps kind of popping up as uh,
1: if it is again and 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 you would i think if i think if i were uh,
5: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
4: nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt
0: until you tried it on same goes for your health care For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: At a high level in, in Western politics, I would I would try to go to, to Kiev and, and meet President Zelensky. It mm. would be a reasonable thing to do. So I don't blame him for that. What puzzles me is that there's still this uh, not not really any serious discussion in any of the Western countries about whether this is a good thing or how it can be brought to an end. Right.
2: Well, that is the problem, isn't it? Because one of the things that, that certainly is the case since Afghanistan is that the American public do not want to be involved in any other wars. They saw what happened in Iraq. They well, weren't happy. They saw what happened in Afghanistan. That
1: was even worse. Well, I think a lot of people were very relieved when they finally got mm. out of there. Uh, it, was, it was obviously a terrible mistake and, and entirely useless so on its own terms, as some of us said from the start, while... While Western forces were there, uh, but I, again, I, it, it's, it's it's fascinating that that it's it's not debated, that it simply isn't discussed. I don't know whatever position you may or may not have is is, is one thing, but the the fact that here is a, a major conflict, probably the most menacing large-scale conflict in modern history, and nobody talks about it in any terms except for, as if it was some kind of straightforward. Mm. Uh, Good against bad, we must carry on doing this. What is the purpose of mm. it? I don't, and, and, and what is what is the aim of it for the United States? What is the aim of it for Ukraine? Has it actually done Ukraine any mm. good? Will it do Ukraine any good? Uh, has it made the world a more peaceful, more stable place? And none of these things are discussed. No.
2: I mean, one of the things that, that I've been discussing in the past sort of couple of weeks with people from. That, talking about the conflict is that the next sort of month or two is going to be quite crucial and so this in, sort of input of, of international aid if you like militarily is supposed to I think put either put Russia off from making a large offensive happen or uh, just make them kind of back down a bit.
1: Possibly. I, again I, I think these wars of this kind and it is a very old fashioned war of, of, of slogging away with artillery in, in the mud. Wars of this kind unless something really catastrophic happens tend to be quite static. Mm and very hard to move on, because once people are dug in, it's very costly in in, in, in the lives of soldiers yeah. to attack a dug-in enemy. I don't know whether that's actually going to make all that much difference, whether either side mm. is actually in much of a condition to make. I, I, we we constantly talk, and quite rightly, about severe losses which Russia has been suffering through its inept conduct of the war. But the as far as I know, Ukrainian casualties and losses remain an official secret, which mm. is never discussed. And we simply... I was a, picture in one of the papers the weekend of a, of a woman uh, standing in a, in the Ukrainian war cemetery surrounded by by graves decorated by Ukrainian flags mm. and it looked very big to me yes i think the losses in ukraine are considerable and i think also there's there's probably growing tension in ukraine about about the conscription if there is such a thing operating properly of of, of soldiers mm. and how how fairly it's operating, and whether people are actually being uh, able to get out of serving in, in, in the Ukrainian army if they want to, and simply a shortage of manpower. I did, again, none of these things are discussed because no. it's all it's, it's it's all so one-sided that people don't even discuss the possible uh, problems of the Ukrainian side, though it must have. Imagine also living in a country largely without electricity mm. for most of the time. Well, the other it's thing, very find, serious condition to thing be in. The that
2: I find surprising is that the coverage of the war in Ukraine from the Western sort of media perspective is, is, is almost non-existent. Well, and so I don't know whether that's about money, because even when 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 I was a reporter back in the nineties, when people were covering the Bosnian War, you know, every newspaper had somebody there. There was a constant sort of you know reportage going backwards and forth.
1: This doesn't seem to have any of that. You remember when people was, were going to Iraq uh, during in the week before the invasion in 2003. I remember uh, Ross Benson, very, one of the people yes. who very bravely went out. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that they wrote about was how they, how constrained they were, yeah. how there were government minders who prevented them from doing things. Well, Do we actually believe that there's no Ukrainian censorship of war coverage? Of course, but it's very very lightly mm. mentioned. Mm. How, how much access do Western reporters get to, to, the, to, to the war itself? Yeah. How much information can they obtain? I think we should know a bit more about these yeah. constraints rather than just to are no, right. some kind it, it of wide-open sh- democracy where you can wander up to the front line and ask a general what's going on and be given a straight yeah. answer, because honestly, all of us know <laughs> that's never going to happen.
2: Well, that's right. I mean, this week also you wrote about how nobody really expected Russia to attack even though they now say they did. Well, I think...
1: I mean the, the, uh, I think a lot of people had reasonable doubts. One of the things that I've been stressing, and I've I've put up a a blog posting on the details of this, Mm. is that President Zelensky himself quite clearly said that he he he, he wasn't sure that it was coming. Now, this is now being spun by the by the Ukrainian propaganda, or saying, "Well, he was trying to keep everybody calm." If you look at the text of what Mm. he actually said, that's not the nature of it. If he'd wanted to keep people calm, he could have stayed silent. Yeah, he didn't need to say, "Well, actually, I'd quite like some more information about this." If the Americans have got information, can can they please send it to me? Which is one of the things that he said. Nobody knew. Uh, What I get trouble for is having asked questions Mm. about it. Because we all remember 2003, Weapons of Mass Destruction, 45 Minutes. And I, I asked a, a couple of questions on Twitter. W- where exactly are these troops? What are the numbers? What's mm. the source of the information? And for this, I'm now being hosed with Slime for daring to ask a Again. question. It's my job well, to ask questions. Of course, can to ask, having, uh, the you can only ask the kind of questions. questions that people want you
2: to ask. You're not allowed to ask exactly, any yes, of your own questions. That, 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 is, that wouldn't the, be good. Thing, the person Since, who asked um, the wrong
1: question at the press conference. Heaven help him.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Since I last saw you, we've lost the First Minister of Scotland. We um, have, haven't we? Yes. Uh, did you have an opportunity to write about that? Because I did Well, do you
1: know what? I didn't care. (laughs) Excellent. I I just didn't care. I mean, it, it was never something which exercised me greatly. Yes. Uh, is it
2: one of those opportunities to, to do the old Edinburgh, you'll have had your tea? <laughs> well, you
1: know, I just thought <laughs> this is so internal to, to, to Scottish. But writers. is it though?
2: Because a lot of people were trying to draw these comparisons to other leaders of, um, shall we say, the devolved countries, or at least one yeah. leader, Mark Drakeford, uh, who seemed to hero worship uh, Nicola Sturgeon. But also a lot of people who sort of, in politics in, in Westminster, hero worshipped her a bit.
1: Yes, perhaps they did. I, I never I never thought she was that good. And I, I was amazed, for instance, at the way in which the London government trailed behind her during the COVID panic. Yes. If she did something really restrictive, then they immediately scrambled to catch mm. up with her instead of saying, well, if they want to do that in Scotland, they yeah. can, but we're, we're more sensible here. I can't think of a better way. Of encouraging of, of encouraging Scottish independence than than tr- treating them as if you 're afraid of them but no I never thought you 've particularly distinguished I never heard her say an interesting thing mm. uh, and, I, and I have to say the internal the internal grief of the Scottish national Party isn 't really my concern no, it reminded me of the great th- great Napoleon Bonaparte statement never interrupt your enemy while he is making a mistake <laughs> and that 's certainly what she did but it was a very quick and sudden demise from three weeks previously when well, she said that
2: unlike um, you know Jacinda Ardern, there was plenty of um, Fuel left in her tank, or
1: plenty left in well, the tank. Well, that was asking for it, wasn't it? And then it? suddenly there wasn't. And we're all we're all constantly on the edge on the edge of doom, <laughs> and we should all realise it. The, the precipice stretches out, and you can fall off it at any time. Of course.
2: Speaking of which, Oxford was in the news at the weekend. Uh. There was a big protest up there. <laughs> um, people, well, people. I mean, better wags than me were pointing out that uh, the march against walk in walk on cities or something was was rather an ironic way to sell it.
1: I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a mystery to you me. Know, Oxford is a tragedy. I've, I've, I've written an article calling it for, to be run, not by its own local government, but by a prefect appointed by the Prime Minister, because it, it's too important to be left to local councillors. Yes. It's a beautiful city, very, very badly run, in my view. And it, what it needs, fundamentally, above all things, is a system of electric trams. And the traffic is, is awful. But I don't... I'm, it's been awful for a long it's, time. It's so always been it? awful. It's it's now become the city, of, instead of the city of, of dreaming spires. it's now become the city of steaming bollards because every, <laughs> there are these bollards everywhere which people then set fire to because they don't like them. Uh, and I see their point, uh, though I think that these illegal actions can't be encouraged, that restricting traffic in this way is, isn't ever going to work. But I can't, it, it seems to me that if you want to get around oxford get a push bike yeah and that the, the but of course a lot of people can't do that well if, if, they, can't, the force, if they can't then it? they should campaign for a better public transport system but the idea that oxford and motor cars can never be compatible mm. is just wrong and, and and therefore i'm i'm not particularly worked up about this okay as a, as a as a long standing oxford tony and citizen of Oxford since 1963. I just can't get worked up about that. The thing that
2: I find interesting is the numbers of people who have suddenly been sold with this idea that isn't it great if you can have everything within 15 minutes of where you are. Well, actually, no, that's the exact antithesis of what I think you should be living like. You should be travelling as much as possible. You know, i have encouraged all my kids to travel the world as a result of which, you know, many of them now live on a very long way away.
1: I, I don't um, think there's any proposal to prevent us from leaving the city of Oxford. Well, no, but it's, or, it's this, this kind of con- wish con- that... Confined there.
2: No, but it's this Wish that everything that you need should be within your sort of uh, immediate area. I don't well, like that. I, mean, I there quite a, like going a, to outside areas. Yeah, there's
1: a good town planning principle here, which again is, is why one of the reasons why having bringing electric trams back is so good. If you have a tram stop around it together, gather mm. uh, cinemas, churches, shops, restaurants, cafes, and everything else. And you, you then have a suburb which has a shape and a nature to it. If you have cars, suburbs are just sprawl. Mm. And they just go on and on and on without ever developing any, any center or character. And the whole nature of the planning of our country has been around the car now, actually since the 1930s which is why so much of our urban sprawl is so ugly and so hard to live in. So I'd be all in favour of recreating neighbourhoods of the kind which we used to have. But as I say, the the most amazing invention in public transport after the bicycle is the electric tram. It's wonderful. It fits almost absolutely all the needs that we have in, in the world. It even fits in with the beliefs of the global warming people. Why don't we reintroduce them? Go to Continental Cities. Zurich, Strasbourg, tr- Border. They, they? They've brought them back very successfully. It's beautiful, it makes the city look better, it cuts down on the traffic. Well I'm old enough to remember the Why buses. Why don't we do
2: it? The buses which looked like trams in Scotland when I was a child, and we used to go to Glasgow, and there was a bus which had regular sort of wheels, and it was not a tram, it didn't run on rails. No. But it was connected to an overhead electric power source. Oh trolley
1: buses. Trolley buses. Yeah, people, people don't really have much confidence in trolley buses. I used to travel in and out of Moscow. I thought they were by by of, a thing of, lot of great wonder. Yeah. When I was about seven. Yeah, they're a bit of a compromise, but <laughs> people, there's something about steel wheel and steel rail which yeah. gives people confidence they like to ride on it. Great thing in Moscow before I left was they actually had a buffet tram. Mm, you nice. could climb on for a sandwich and a glass of beer if you wanted to. As no, that sounds ride good. And no, that no, no, cool. I would
2: vote for. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Peter Hitchens is here. We're going to talk about Roald Dahl, censorship, and much else besides Talk TV.
1: Online on DAB, Plus, Talk Radio, and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk TV. Peter Hitchens is here with us. Uh, we must touch upon uh, Roald Dahl and uh, uh, the story that's erupted over the weekend. Puffin books, apparently. I didn't even know they were still going. Um, have decided in their uh, wisdom to hire sensitivity editors who have now started editing his work. What do you make of that?
1: Well, it's the revolution that's happened and people the the, the conservative media are full of people saying how terrible this is. Mm. But actually, the, the doctoring and altering of children's books has been going on since at least the 1980s has it oh yeah the, the, the changing them to to be to, to be more and more friendly to the modern the, the modern ideology right. so for instance you have many many more children's books in which the the, the family portrayed is a one parent family uh, and all kinds of things that have mm. been going for a very long time. And mm. the, I, 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 it, it's it's completely unsurprising to me that it's now reached Roald Dahl, but it's struck people's attention because he's a very famous author and lots of people read him. I don't actually like Roald Dahl's
2: books very much. My kids always liked them. Some they? of them. And some of the films have kind of, I suppose, yeah, put him in, in more of a famous th- place. There they? is
1: a tinge of anti-Semitism in quite a lot of them, which mm. I don't think is deniable, honestly, and he himself has, w- was on the record of saying things which, which rather backs that up. But that's uh, that's not for me a concern for for having them censored or also this is obviously wrong. If an author writes something, it should be left as it stands. I mean, how on earth mm. do you, we
2: well, we, why you would tamper with it is beyond me. But also well, because
1: it, because it is because we now live under uh, under what is effectively a marshmallow societarianism, there are things you can no longer say. Uh, we sitting in this room can no longer say certain things that, that we might have said perfectly, uh, perfectly readily thirty years ago, mm. and ten years from now it will be even more so. And this is the way it goes. And there is no actual effective protest against it. You can point it out, but you you go into the shops in six months' time, you'll find the doctored books, and you'll find it harder and harder mm. to locate the ones which haven't been changed. And this is not just Roldal that is happening to. It's it's a it's a general. Uh, Coordination of everything in the same direction, so that a, a certain series of ideas have to be expressed, cannot be attacked even by implication. Mm. In in and it will extend into adult literature. In time, it's it's already yeah, I'm sure it's already it sure it newspaper. I'm
2: sure it has extended into into sort of commissioning. The kinds oh, of commissioning, the it's
1: huge. Yeah. And the, 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 the people who, who, who might have got things readily commissioned 30 years ago now, unless they unless they correct their thinking, mm. uh, or indeed unless they're the right kind of person, they won't go public. No.
2: And I mean, one of the arguments for the sensitivity
1: police being brought in is that
2: Roald Dahl wasn't a very nice man. Uh, you know, but that's almost,
1: not an argument for sensitivity police. No, that's an argument for, 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 for parents saying, yeah, sure, read this, but look, see this in here. Uh, this is the kind of things this, 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 this man has said and the way he's mm. said them. And, and be wary of it and know that it happens, because it does. It happens yes. everywhere. And that's, that's, that's an intelligent approach to it. But banning it, changing it, censoring it, mm. altering the words of the actual author so that they're not his own, yeah. uh, that is a crime against truth. Well, it's a bit like the people who say, oh, you know, some of these artists were really rather
2: ghastly people and horrible individuals and we shouldn't enjoy looking at their paintings. Well, I'm sorry, I don't think that's got anything to do with it. The we two things no are thing entirely separate, it, no. uh, aren't it, they? Well,
1: I suppose there are points. I think the, if, if you had someone who was an actual Nazi... Yes. Uh, then you might have some difficulty in, 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 in treating their their well, art. Well, Hitler himself was a painter. Not a very obviously. good one. Not f- a very good one. Fortunately for and for not office, very we, many people, we don't would... have to say I'm I'm not hanging this wonderful Hitler <laughs> landscape yeah, because it's a Gallery. dreadful painting, so you don't need to worry. Yeah, about but
2: it. I mean, even with you saying that, I'm slightly uncomfortable because you know um, if you judge somebody to be politically, I'm not talking about somebody who's murdered people, but I mean if if you're talking about somebody being politically distasteful. Should that prevent them from being artistically, you
1: know, sort of rewarded? I think there. Are, as in, there's, there's Where no, does it start? There's, there's no clear answer because sometimes people are so ghastly mm. uh, that you that you have. But for instance, you take the, um, the the problem of Eric Gill, uh, a horrible pedophile. Yes, I, his personal life is absolutely revolting, and yet a, 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 a brilliant sculpture, sculptor. Yes, so and one do? of his
2: one of his works is outside the BBC,
1: is it not? Which somebody climbed up and tried to smash. They still up.
2: they still haven't taken it down, have they? And they get criticised
1: for that on a regular yeah, basis. But they should I, it, should this, they? Do you think? No, I think I think these things should stand. But I'm perfectly happy for people to put plaques underneath saying the man himself mm. was, was, but the the work. I don't think anybody can seriously mm. argue that it was uh, that, that, that it that it was bad. Yeah. And there is a problem for us all if, if if bad people can produce good works of art. But as, as I say, he didn't go around um, cramming people into concentration camps and murdering them. Which is, no. if if he had, I think the temptation to say we can't put this up stronger. But then might you get into these stronger.
2: conversations with people about whether you know what he did was as bad and all of that. But I've got some good news for you. Uh, there is in fact a list of contentious statues. Uh, provided by uh, Scotland Yard. It's said to be uh, a secret list. A study by Policy Exchange has discovered that um, Winston Churchill, Horatio Nelson, Earl Mountbatten and Oliver Cromwell are on the list, as well as the Cenotaph. Yeah. So um, I don't know whether we can expect to see scaffolding or boxes being put around that sort of thing, because they did that across the road here at uh, Guy's Hospital. They actually put a wooden... Sort of modesty curtain around the statue. Was of that the man. because
1: of a threatened demonstration? No, right? it was no.
2: because of the fact that the statue was causing such offence to the um, the people who were going in and out of the hospital, and particularly the uh, NHS staff who thought that he might have had some connection to slavery, even though he founded was an anthrop- was was a um, founded the hospital, not only Guy's but yeah. also St Thomas's
1: Thing Thomas about- Guy. The thing about the slavery issue is that so many people of importance uh, could, could in some way be said to be connected by it in, the, in the, the, the previous era, that it's almost a way of obliterating or diminishing everybody from that era. I, mean, so I think I think Handel had some shares in, mm. in an outfit. That was, but so we're so we never going to have any performances of The Messiah again. Mm. Are we going to say that his music is, 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 not, is not... I'm possible. sure we'll come to that. Well, if, I think part of the reason for the choice of slavery, and I think slavery... Was such a dreadful thing that I can see why people get worked up about it, but I don't. And and one does need to to, to in, in some way say, well, this it, it is wrong that we became so rich on the back of it, which is which it is. But I think it's it's not used for that purpose. It's used for the purpose of making everything in the past look unacceptable mm. and bad, and getting a wave of support behind the sort of change which we now see. In the rewriting of Roald Dahl, and no doubt there'll be the rewriting of Charles Dickens and Shakespeare and everybody else before too long. Not just in, in a minor way, but in such a way that you will not be able easily to obtain no. the unaltered versions. And surely That's what's soon, coming.
2: Surely soon there will there will be a change of name for St Thomas's and Guy's Hospital, uh, because you wouldn't want to be in any way associated with a philanthropist who had actually created a hospital
1: for the poor, which is what he did. Well, possibly, and of course, the other things that so many things in this country are named after Christian things Saints hospitals named mm-hmm. after after saints, railway stations named after saints, Sit towns—and the whole Christian uh, nature of the, the names of places is going to come under challenge soon mm. too, as well. It, it's it, which is what happens in revolutionary countries, because most revolutions happen sort of overnight or in a matter of weeks. Yeah. It happens fast, but our revolutions happened over a matter of decades. So it happens slowly, but it is gathering speed at the moment, and lots of well, things that people will never sh- happen will yeah, happen. Now. And
2: it's an interesting way to look at how you know the authorities see things, because the reason for this particular list of Scotland Yard's um, contentious statues is because they're saying that basically they've noticed because they have data to prove that there are more demonstrations now around these statues than there ever were. So that would be alone a reason to single them out for removal.
1: Well, it's also a reason for the police to be on guard to make sure that they protect them if they're attacked. Mm. They're, they're, so, it's not necessarily wrong for the police to be on guard against this, but removal uh, is, is is an obliteration of the past. Obliteration of the past mm. is actually fundamentally an obliteration of the truth. But also uh, to, identify, to be guarded against.
2: But to identify the cenotaph as a contentious statue, uh, to me is is wrong. I can't. I mean, I, how I can it be contentious just because a bunch of trots
1: don't like it? I'd be interested to see what the argument is, but there, there will be one. No,
2: there'll be. There uh, will, be it will one. be there around really the number who, of, who, of incidents
1: who, that have happened around it. Who believe this? I can't, since it is and what cenotaph means is empty tomb, and mm. since it doesn't represent anything other than national grief, I can't see it. But this is the problem. I'm not. You know, we don't think like the revolutionaries. Mm. Uh, they have different ideas about what is and, and, and is not good. So I'd be very interested to hear what it is they mm. have against the commemoration of the selfless to, deaths of millions.
2: might be something for you to look into for the yeah. weekend. Uh, Peter Hitchens, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Peter Hitchens back on Sunday of course, the Mail on Sunday and possibly before that, uh, back with us next Monday coming up we will talk more um, about the Roald Dahl case. We're talking to uh, the Times journalist who broke the story uh, and also we'll take more of your calls 0344 This is Talk TV Welcome back to Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. This is the Independent Republic. We've got lots to do. Coming up, Howard Cox will be here at midday to talk us through uh, some of the rules and regulations that are being changed, even as we speak about where you can drive, what you can drive in, how many people you can take with you, where you have to park, where you can't park. We'll be talking about that Oxford demonstration, of course, as well, Uh, the low traffic neighbourhoods problem, the 15-minute cities, all of that, uh, and electric cars as well. Right now, though, back to Roald Dahl. Uh, We just heard Peter Hitchens' view uh, of it. We're now joined uh, by the Times- Deputy Literary Editor Laura Hackett. Laura, very good morning to you.
5: Good morning to you. You
2: brought us this story the other day. Uh, it's still rumbling on. It's quite an extraordinary discovery. Peter Hitchens actually said to me, well, and I think it's probably less official, perhaps, that, that, you know, children's literature has been sort of under this kind of pressure for a while. But this is the first time we know of actual editing and actual kind of, you know, sensitivity changes being made to works of, of literature, surely.
5: Sure, yeah, I mean, so it was originally in the, in the Telegraph pointing this out, that all of the changes that have been made. Children's literature, definitely, it's a bit of a special case because mm. I think really more than any other type of literature, we go back and we read older writers. I mean, yes. I grew up with Enid Blyton, even though she was well before my time. Right. And lots of people would go back and say Enid Blyton actually had some pretty you yeah. know, outdated views. Yeah, well, she's been views. called a racist, hasn't she, in
2: various mm-hmm. things? But, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, I mean, Roald Dahl is being accused of... Um, not being a very nice guy for one thing but also maybe having as, as Peter said a few views of uh, and maybe that might have been considered to be anti-Semitic at the time but you know he's written these works of arts if you want to call them that many of them have been made into very successful films I think there's a stage play on in London at the moment isn't yeah. there Matilda yeah um, so it's a massive kind of um, you know business a massive empire if you like even though he's not around anymore
5: Yeah, I mean, for sure, he definitely wasn't a nice guy. Um, That's that's pretty clear from what the biographies we can read. But I think he was still a fantastic writer and he was a fantastic children's writer. And I think actually why his books are so good, his stories are so good, is that they are a little bit nasty. And they have sort of meanness and cruel things and violence and children, actually, in a way. Kind of like a little. My bit My children
2: of that. have always loved Roald Dahl yeah. stories, and I've always, you know, sort of empathised with the whoever the hero is, whether it's a, a woman, yeah. a girl, or a boy. You know, they've now told us though that Mrs Twit is no longer fearfully ugly. The Oompa Loompas are gender neutral. Um, Miss Trunchbull no longer has a great horsey face; she just has a face. I mean, it doesn't even sound like they've improved it.
5: Yeah, they're just sort of taking things out a lot mm. of the time. And for example, that thing with the great horsey face, that was yeah. a sort of brilliant description. Right. And when you just have a face, that yeah. it takes away that nice metaphor right. that he's put in there and, and it just simplifies it. And who it? would have
2: made this decision? I mean, because presumably Roald Dahl would have an estate of some kind controlling what is done to his work, wouldn't he?
5: Yes. So his he does have an estate. Those rights were sold a couple of years ago to Netflix who okay. have now produced this Big Matilda movie. Okay. So it's Netflix you who know, have the rights to the estate um, who exactly was the one who made the decision to do that is slightly less clear mm. but we know that Puffin hired sensitivity readers to right. go through the books and find things which could potentially be offensive and then decided that they would accept and how those how do they changes. judge these
2: things? I mean Augustus Gloop uh, apparently is no longer fat. And the whole point of Augustus Gloop was that he was a greedy, fat little boy. Right? Well,
5: precisely. That's the whole point of the character, that there are no instances of the word fat anywhere in the story's noise. So, I mean... It, <laughs> yeah. And where does it
2: say in context of the book, you know, what has been changed and why it's been changed? Does it say that? Is there a statement of any kind?
5: Yes, there is a statement on the copyright page at the front of the book saying that the words have been adapted to keep up with the time. So if you're really looking for it, you could find that. But I doubt that many people would be looking at that. You kind of just flick past that. So
2: if I go and buy a copy of, of, um, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory... Is that the only version I can get now then? The one that's been changed? Well,
5: I'm not sure. There are there are older editions out there. Whether you'll go into a shop and find an older edition really will depend on the shop. I think you could still online order them. Um, so I don't think they're going mm. completely away. I wonder if they'll but, become more yeah. valuable then. They might do indeed. I mean, mm. I'll be keeping mine for sure. Yeah.
2: Well, I wonder. I mean, maybe the, the, this is the birth of a sort of a two-tier publishing system where mm. you know you can have, you can read this book if you want to have it in its unexpurgated glory, or uh, you can have a sort of sanitized version over here, which might not upset you.
5: Well, I wonder if some people sort of be sneaking around yeah. the the illicit rule. I find mean, amazing
2: is that we now appear to have a group of people in the world, and I'm not just going to say in this country, but who 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 seem to want to not be offended by anything that they ever see or read or hear, that they're so kind of bland that they want to make everything bland so that nothing upsets them but in the end there's always going to be something isn't there
5: yeah I mean I also think if you don't like Roald Dahl's stories if you do find them offensive you can just choose not to give them to your yeah. children you can give them other books so I think that's sort of my point is yeah. that we don't need to change them we can just if you prefer you just read something else
2: well right I mean I seem to remember in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory one of one of them characters with turns sort of purple does Yeah, yeah. Um, for, for eating too many. A blueberry, I a think blueberry. it was. A blueberry, yeah, something yeah. like that. I mean, does that not happen either? i mean because i think that could be upsetting to some people
5: well some of the things in charlie and the chocolate factory are very upsetting i mean i find that movie quite scary as a child yeah (laughs) but that's sort of the point of the joy johnny depp
2: one or the one because there's an older one yeah
5: the uh, both of them actually yeah they're both quite my kids
2: love both of those films Mm. and and for a while we watched both of them kind of on repeat yeah because they were that good yeah and all sorts of i mean some of the stuff that johnny depp's done um you Know other movies that, that have been, you know, like Edward Scissorhands and all that kind of thing. And I know they're not necessarily f- just for children, you know, but the whole point of them is, is they're meant to be a bit shocking and unusual, right? Yeah, I think children are meant drawn to be taken to that. seriously.
5: Yeah, the children are drawn to something that's a little bit scary, that's oh. a little bit breaking the rules.
2: Yeah, they really are. So, I mean, this big sort of fuss that's been kicked up has Puffin said much about what their plans are going forward are they just going to continue to hire these sensitivity editors
5: i don't think they've made a response yet so i guess we'll see in the you know if it continues if people continue to be really unhappy about it they may be forced to, to come out and make a statement but at the minute it looks like they're set to continue
2: right because you would think some authors might say, if they're still alive anyway, that you know they, they might stand against this. But I mean, I suppose with what's going on with J.K. Rowling, it's a dangerous area now, isn't it? It's become like you know very edgy when you don't even know you're edgy.
5: Yeah, well, it can be, certainly. So I think it's a fraught grind, especially for new authors. You mm. know, they're, they're sort of at the mercy at times of editors, but, you know, yes. we'll have to see how it yes, unfolds. Yes, it's
2: not a development I'm very happy with. Them, I <laughs> say. Laura, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Laura Hackett, Deputy Literature of the uh, Sunday Times. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk some more about those gun crime figures because Hamish Brown is going to join us, a former Met Police detective, a specialist in firearms. Firearms uh, incidents have gone up, believe it or not, 2,500%, if you can even work that out. Uh, in London in one year alone. We'll find out why coming next to Talk TV. The home of Common Sense, Talk Radio and Talk TV. got a lot to talk about uh, over the course of the next uh, hour and a bit because Ian Collins will be here at one o'clock, of course. Kevin O'Sullivan uh, in for Vanessa Feltz at four on Drive, 7pm. It's J- Jeremy Kyle, of course, lots to do uh, on his show. Uh, Piers Morgan live from the United States of America coming up at eight o'clock and the talk at nine uh, with, amongst others, my good self. Uh, I'll be there tonight um, looking at all the big stories of the day. Right now, though, uh, we'll be reporting for you on Joe Biden, who's visiting uh, Ukraine. He surprised visited uh, Volodymyr Zelensky this morning. Uh, We'll bring you more on that. But right now, let's talk to Hamish Brown, MBE, who's a former Metropolitan Police Detective Inspector, because some extraordinary figures came out uh, over the course of the last day or two about firearms offences in this country, because apparently uh, they have soared 2,500% in one year in London. 850 incidents in England and Wales alone. There's a bit of an anomaly because the Metropolitan Police themselves say that they don't have that figure. Their figure is a much lower one. But however, it's obviously still a problem. These are home office figures. uh, Crime data from the first two quarters of 2021-22 and 2022-23 show that basically England and Wales uh, is a place where you don't have any trouble finding a firearm if you want one. Hamish, a very good morning to you. And to you, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, these are worrying numbers, aren't they? We just had the knife crime statistics last week, which showed a massive increase in people not only carrying knives but actually using them. Um, this is similarly disturbing. I mean, it's hard to imagine a 2,500% increase in, in one year. What, what's it all about? Why do you think it's happening?
6: We were absolutely right to highlight it. Uh, that they're very worrying figures. And indeed, what hasn't been mentioned is knives as well. In the same report, they yeah. said knives have gone down, but they're still used quite a lot. And uh, that, that these are big issues for the police to grapple with. Um, I would just wonder, I was going to mention that the, particularly the Metropolitan Police, their figures vary somewhat to that of the Home Office. And uh, I, I just wonder what the reason for that is, a firearms incidents, mm. uh, I don't know. Is this uh, members of the public, quite rightly, um, contacting the police to say that the kid's playing with an air gun or something? Right. Like that is that what they're talking about? I don't know. Right. But if it's a matter of ticking boxes, sometimes this can be horribly misconstrued. And actually, kids playing with um, air guns and things in parks is, is a serious matter because people can lose eyes and all that sort right. of thing. So um, it it all depends what the rationale there is. But the fact of the matter is firearms and knives exist. And I think we've got to look at why do they exist. And without doubt, particularly in the um, metropolitan areas in London, for which I I used to police and later did um, contract work with the criminal justice system. Mm. Um, It it was drugs. It was gangs. And uh, this was... To say they were openly carried, that's not right, but they were openly available. Certainly, yeah. they knew where to go for it. And in some instances, and I'm turning more to the knives here, when youngsters were asked, well, what, Why are you carrying this in the first place? It's because protection, because everyone else is. Yeah. And the difficulty is one, they're committing a crime carrying it in the first instance, but of course, it could be taken off them. And if they're in that culture, the, the reality is, they stand a big chance. Have been a, a victim themselves, perhaps more so. Than the fact they're carrying a knife. Well, this so is it. <laughs> and we
2: saw. I mean, we know from what happened in Liverpool in recent times that those two terrible incidents of the young woman who was shot dead. Um, apparently by accident because she happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and then of course the poor uh, little nine-year-old girl Olivia Pratt Corbell uh, who was in her own home uh, when a thug sort of ran through the door burst into the house and was uh, shot at by somebody outside who happened to then kill um, an innocent uh, child and so we know that and we were told I think by the police in Liverpool at the time that the gangs in Liverpool are certainly carrying guns on on a regular
6: basis Well, yes, in fact, it goes more than that. And the the agency work I've done within the criminal justice system has taken me back to London. And um, it was not unusual for, for rival gangs to go on someone else's turf and and let off a few rounds mm. to go and wind them up and we have murders that because of the stray bullet people are going about their lawful business and in fact it's just as serious when another gang member is shot but people go about their lawful business and be subject to these stray bullets because someone think it's a good idea right. just to intimidate another gang and and the boundaries for this will will, will simply be a road and uh, it become very very mm. nasty no, right. so uh I, i'm not sure what the answer is um it's certainly education of the public it's education of the youngsters to get into schools and colleges and it is not cool to carry a knife i mean i know the, the police with um operation trident and uh, and a few other operations as well and it's the big metropolitan areas in particular not just london by the way are working hard on this and the firearm sentences are severe, mm. almost draconian. So, um, yes, there there is a sanction and a punishment at the end of the day, but surely we've got to work on the crime prevention and it's got to be a change of culture in society. I think it's about one in 10 police officers are armed in this country. And certainly in the London areas, there'll be the armed response vehicles being called to certain areas. I mean, think like Downing Street. You expect to see a a police officer aggressively, perhaps with a machine gun or something like that. Well, these are the high profile events. However, um, ordinary calls to shoplifters, car crushes, uh, punch-ups, domestic violence, these sorts of things. I think the public still will be... Horrified to see armed police turning up to those. Yes, they have tasers. And comments have been made about those. So let, let's keep uh, that, that, those boundaries quite separate. Yes, and, but in and terms and that, of the
2: actual availability, Hamish, of, of these guns, I mean, are are there more of them on the black market, or you know? Can people get guns easier now than it used to be the case? Because it used to be the case that it was quite difficult to get your hands on an actual handgun, but presumably more of them are coming into the country. If so, where from? Um, I was always told that you couldn't easily access a gun in Britain as much as you could in mainland Europe because of the border, because of the fact that, you know, you had to actually bring a gun across a known border. um, And it was more difficult to do. But clearly that's not the case anymore.
6: No, uh, you you talk about Europe. Well, I I would go across the Atlantic and look at America where there is positively a firearm culture. And uh, I've lectured there a number of times. And without exception, people say, I wish we could go to the British model because they they see our firearm offences, which compared to the States, mercifully, they are very much lower. Mm. But there are different sources. I did a lot of work on this some years ago. So it, it isn't a a new problem and um, that there, there are things like uh, war trophies that does happen firearms being stolen firearms being imported there are all, all sorts of ways they can come into the country the the reactivation of <clears throat> excuse me the reactivation of deactivated firearms which means a, a gun which isn't a gun because it can't be discharged mm. those with the right knowledge can make it discharge So it's a gun without a serial number uh, live on the streets. So there are a number of sources. And I know because I've been there that the police work very closely with this, along with all the other multitude of things they've got to deal with. So it isn't an impossible situation. It's unhappy those figures. Mm. Police will dispute them a little bit, firearms incidents, but it is uh, another task for the police, but a contribution from the public and society and with the public There is Crime Stoppers, there is 101, there is 999 if it's an emergency. Get in there. The police won't criticise you for well-meaning information.
2: No, quite. Thank you very much indeed. Hamish Brown, MBE, former Metropolitan Police Detective Inspector, on the number of incidents rising massively uh, over the past year or so, soaring to 2,500% more uh, than there were in London at the same time last year.
0: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app.